Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, John Erez, and welcome back to another edition of the Views from the John podcast. I am your host, John Erez, and today is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. First things first, take off this friggin' mask. How uncomfortable are those masks? I have one of those things on and literally a minute later I feel like I can't breathe. If you guys tried wearing a mask like that with glasses on or sunglasses, it's impossible. Instantly fogged up. It's nuts. Um, mask wearing and glove wearing and PPE and social distancing and all that stuff seem to have become a uh, entrepreneurial uh, activity. Um, I don't see any two people or two families um, and all the observing that I do on a daily basis, um, adhering to the same rules. It seems like every individual and every family has uh, set up their own guidelines and rules and risk factors and bubbles that they'll associate in and with. And if they let anyone into their house and uh, if they do, whether they're wearing PPE and who it is, it's nuts. Um a couple of days ago here in the great state of Massachusetts, they just uh, reopened uh, on the 18th, two days ago. Uh, they call it phase one, where uh, they've allowed a handful of businesses that weren't essential to now become essential and reopen. And, uh, you know, the, the, the shelter in place has been lifted, but they're saying it's still safer to stay at home. Anyone who's elderly or at high risk should still stay home. Um, if you're going into a store, masks and gloves are recommended. But if you're just in the middle of a field with nobody, you know, within six feet of you, you really don't have to. It's when you get congested and can't maintain that social distancing. But literally, I was just outside, and there was some guy riding his bike all alone down the middle of my road. It's 80 degrees out, and he's got a mask and must be sweating his uh, cojones off. So that's just it. You know, I see some people that are in large groups that don't have gloves or masks on. And then I see a dude riding down the middle of a street. Nobody within 500 feet of him has a mask on. Don't get it. I really don't. So it's everybody seems to be social distancing in their own way. Nobody seems to be across the board following what uh, the government says. It, it, it's literally become entrepreneurial. Um, everybody has a different way of distancing. And uh, yeah, that's been kind of crazy. But anyways. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I have a whole bunch of just random stuff written down. I don't have any particular way I'm going to tell it to you. So let's dive right in. First story. It's a true story. I want to say this occurred back in uh, 93, 1994. It was my first ever um, heavy metal rock concert. Um, it was at a local nightclub uh, where my band Grimlock, the shirts that you see behind me, that's where we started off in like 95. Uh, this nightclub was a great nightclub, had a lot of national acts. I mean, I saw the Deftones there before they blew up. Um, 
the Foo Fighters were there uh, in the late 90s before they blew up, um, or just as they were about to blow up. So, I mean, it was a really cool club. Upstairs, they had an upstairs that, that sat about, well, they had no seats. It was just a big stage and a floor, about 1,000 people. Downstairs, I think they could fit maybe two or 300 people. So I went to a downstairs concert, I want to say in 1994, and it was my first ever concert. It was me and my friend Brian. We didn't have our licenses. I, I believe we got dropped off by our parents. We were, I don't know, how old was I in 94? I was, uh, I don't know, 16, 15? Anyways, the band was called Propane. Um, P-R-O hyphen pain not propane like the gas that you would uh you know fire your grill up with it was pro like pro-life pro-choice it was pro hyphen pain and um honest to god so me and my friend brian were at this show i, I was really into heavy metal like metallica sepultura slayer i loved the head banging, head nodding, moshing, just just you know, getting into it. So here I am at my first ever concert, first ever metal show. We're right in the middle of all the people, two, three hundred people, and I literally head banged, like banged my head, just just the whole hour. I was just. And let me tell you, that next day when I woke up, I had literally strained every muscle in my neck from just just throwing my head back and forth. Every neck muscle and ligament and, and, and flux capacitor that I, that I had in my neck was sore. Where I, It was so painful. If I went to move my head even the slightest bit up, down, left, right, so much pain. So my mother was a nurse. And she had one of those big white uh, neck braces for people that, uh, you know, there's almost like a splint for your finger, but it went around your whole neck. I had to wear that to school the next day. And I believe we might have been freshmen in high school. Do you know how much shit I got for having to wear a neck brace to high school? Because I headbanged too hard at a concert the night before. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, granted, I've been playing heavy metal music now in bands for 27 years. I, I've, I think I've gotten my neck muscles down strong enough to where I can headbang without blowing my neck out and having to wear a brace. But yeah, just picture it. I'm a 15-year-old skinny white weird metalhead kid that had to wear this big gaudy awful white you know uh brace where i couldn't move my head if i had to look left i had to literally turn my whole body i just looked ridiculous and people were like oh my god dude what is that big white brace around your neck what did you do did you get in a car accident did you fight a bear what happened oh i head banged too hard they're like you what you're wearing a neck brace because you banged your head, you know? Some of my black friends didn't even know what the fuck head, they were banging head, what, what, like you like, you hit your head on a table. Like, no man, head banging, you know, metal. <laughs> so, true story, true story. I banged my head, I head banged so hard that I had to wear a neck brace. So, all right. 
If you guys are familiar with my podcast, you know that I love to tear into Burger King. Uh, Over the last, what, six, eight months I've been doing this podcast, I've tore into Burger King three or four times for having some of the most ridiculous commercials on the planet. Just so far from reality. It's crazy, right? So the latest Burger King commercial, um, you know, is like every commercial on TV right now. Every company is doing a COVID-19 commercial. Look at us. We're still open and uh, we're here to feed you, blah, blah, blah. We're doing a great thing for, you know, the, you know, by Burger King staying open, they feel like, you know, they are the lifeline, right? So anyways, Burger King has another commercial and they're touting about contact list delivery and how they're taking their employees temperatures and everybody's washing their hands now aside from the temperature taking part i thought people in restaurants always wash their hands and wore gloves and stuff it's called food handling safety but somehow burger king has now stepped up in the middle of a global pandemic to start washing their hands wasn't didn't that happen all along at least i hope it did But man, these are one of the reasons I don't eat fast food. I haven't had fast food in probably 8, 10 years. If I were to literally have a bite of a Whopper or a a Big Mac right now, I would probably puke it up. My stomach cannot handle that kind of shit anymore. But anyways, the biggest, stupidest thing I see with this new Burger King commercial is, you know, the whole point of it is that, hey, we're open we're washing our hands because of the pandemic and we have contactless delivery. And that's where I'm like, no, you don't. You might have seen it, okay? Burger King, uh, they show a customer at a Burger King drive through window and they're like, we have contactless delivery. And their version of contactless delivery is you being at the drive through window and rather than handing you the bag through the window, they hand you the bag on a tray how is that contactless you still need to pick the bag up off the tray somebody in the restaurant obviously put the food in the bag and then sealed it but yet they hand you the bag by putting it on a tray and handing it to you through the window that's not contactless delivery you're still touching the bag that some dude inside that could have COVID just touched. Just because they're now passing the bag to you on a silver platter through the drive through window doesn't mean it's contactless. Somebody touched that bag. But if it makes you feel better that they're handing you the bag on a platter, then go for it. Because I think that's what it all comes down to. COVID-19 is something that we've never seen. It's invisible. You can't see it. I could have it on my elbow right now and not know it. And by not knowing, I could do this, then touch my face, and then it leaks into my eyes, and now I have it. We can't see it. We are literally fighting a battle against a deadly disease that nobody knows where it is because you can't see it. It's nuts. It's like we're walking through a field filled with landmines. You don't know whether you're going to step in a landmine or step in COVID. You don't know. But the level to which people are just... um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, people find whatever answer they're looking for in their head about this pandemic that makes them feel comfortable. And then that's what they kind of base their reality on. And um, I just don't get it. 
you know, I got nothing against Burger King or, uh, you know, companies that are looking to make people more at ease about ordering out and stuff like that. But don't tell me you have contactless delivery. Like that's going to be my, uh, you know, the ultimate thing that makes me go, okay, well, I guess Burger King is safe because they now hand me the bag on a platter as opposed to handing me the bag and then I just touch the bag. But I'm still touching the bag by lifting it off the tray. So it makes no sense to me. I don't Maybe I'm missing something. If I am, call me out on it. But how is that contact this delivery? As far as I'm concerned, Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box, it doesn't matter where. They're still doing everything they did before COVID hit. They were supposed to be washing their hands. They were supposed to be wearing gloves and thinking about food safety and not taking their unwashed hands and putting it on your emu meat. You know what I'm saying? All of those things I thought were happening. So the only thing I see Burger King or McDonald's doing differently is now instead of handing you the bag through the window, they present you the bag on a tray and then you pick it up. How is that any different from them handing it to you than you picking it up off a tray? You're still touching the bag that somebody else put food in and then sealed. So they're really not doing you any favors. But if that makes you feel more comfortable that you can pick up the bag from the tray as opposed to picking up the bag from them handing it to you, if that makes you feel like you're not going to get COVID now at Burger King, I guess that's all that matters. Whatever puts your mind at ease, right? All right, let's move on to another random story or topic. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead here. Well, no, I'm not. All right, I'm just going to do the next one down. Um, this is something I see on almost a daily basis. I do a lot of highway driving here in Massachusetts. And um, something I've been doing for like the last 20 years and there's a few reasons I do this, but every time I'm on the highway, I use my car's cruise control. And I do that for a couple reasons, okay? Uh, most of the cars I drive are very fast. And if I'm not paying attention um, and I'm not using my cruise control, I can go from 70 to 90 in 10 seconds, and it doesn't even feel like I'm doing 90. And of course, when my car gets up to 90, and I'm not watching my speed carefully enough, that's always when there's a cop right there and I get pulled over. So the main reason I use cruise control is because I can set the car at like 70 or 72 and I know I won't get pulled over and I know that uh, I, I'll, I'll keep a steady speed, which means I won't accidentally, you know, all of a sudden do 90. So I, I use cruise control pretty much any time I'm on the highway. And next time you use cruise control just watch it really when you're using con your cruise control in your car it really makes other people's inability to keep a steady speed stand out you know when i'm in that right lane on the highway and i got my cruise set at 70 72 it is amazing to me that i'll have somebody blow by me that has to be going 20 miles faster than me. And then two miles down the road, um, my car is still going the same speed, cruise control. I've caught back up to them, and now I'm passing them, still doing the same speed I have been. And then now that I'm passing them, then they speed up, and then I get back in the right lane. And then a mile down the road, I'm back to catching up to them. And then I go to go around them, 
all the same while I'm doing the same speed and now they're speeding back up again. So it's amazing to me. So try this out. Next time you go on the highway, if you're not a big cruise control user, set your cruise control and just stay in the right lane or any lane and just watch, watch people's inability to keep a steady speed with their foot. They're just, they're, they, they blow by you, then you blow by them, then you blow, you know, all the while you're keeping a steady speed. It's amazing. Um, I know I'm not very good at it. Uh, like I said, the main reason I use it is because if I don't, I'm going to look down and be doing a hundred and that's when there'll be a cop sitting there. Um, but you know, I kind of have a tough time keeping a steady speed myself on the highway. You know, uh, you know, I'll try to keep a speed of 70 without using the cruise control and you know, next minute I'm doing 80 then a minute later I'm doing 65. So it is tough. But you don't realize just how tough it is for other people to keep a steady speed until you use your cruise control for many miles and just see just it it's nuts. It's nuts. Speaking of that, man, when I used to work up north and I used to drive every day on the highway, um, I saw some wild things, man, in all those days of driving that stretch of highway. Um, there'd be times I would drive home at night. I mean, pitch, pitch black. Not like the sun is just starting to set and people are starting to turn their uh, headlights on. I mean, I've been driving on the highway. Pitch dark. There is no street lights on the highway. I mean, pitch dark. It's dark out. And there'll be somebody that'll blow by me without having any headlights on. And it's not like their car has daylight, uh, you know, running lights. So they think that their headlights are on. I mean, I'm talking no lights on the car, 90 miles an hour, blowing by me in the pitch dark without any headlights on. And I see that kind of shit all the time. I mean, how screwed up or how many drugs are you on to be going 90 on the highway and not know that you don't have any exterior lights on? None. Not even your headlights. How can you see where you're going? It's, it's, it's nuts to me. But those are the kind of people, right, that don't get pulled over, right? I might, I might get pulled over by the police once every 15 years for speeding. And it will be like that one time that I wasn't using cruise control and just took my eyes off my speedometer for 10 seconds, looked down, I'm doing 80, and brrr, there they are in my fucking rearview mirror, right? But uh, in all the times I've been a good boy and I've kept my speed at 70 despite, you know, everyone else doing 90, you know, that's when the cops are there and they see the 90 guys and they let them go. You know, it's, it's, it's the one time out of a billion that I screw up and don't use cruise and then speed. That's right where the cop will be. You know what I'm saying? But other people will do a hundred in the middle of the night without any headlights on and they don't get pulled over. So I don't know. That's, that's, uh, that's that. All right. You guys have probably heard the expression. I talk a lot about expressions. Expressions are crazy to me, and uh, I like to know where they came from. I've talked before on this podcast about that saying, um, there's nothing to sneeze at. You know, what a crazy saying, there's nothing to sneeze at. Like, have you ever asked somebody to do something, and they're like, achoo, fuck no. And you're like, bro, that's nothing to sneeze at. It's like, who who comes up with this shit, right? So I was thinking the other day about, you know, expressions and sayings and one of my all-time classics is that went over about as well as a fart in church and that made me think wow i remember that one time that i farted in church and 
I don't think it went over very well, especially not for me. So let me set the, set the tone for you. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a church, but it's very quiet, very refined. Everyone's all spiritual and, you know, hmm, amen, Allah, Akbar, whatever, you know. And you're sitting there and everyone's dressed up in their Sunday's best shirt and ties. Everyone's got their, you know, sitting up straight, hands folded. You know, it, it's, it's, it's of the utmost, uh, you know, everyone's on their absolute best behavior, dressed to the nines. It, you know, it's a church, you know. This isn't a place where you can just fart and puke and burp, you know. It's church. You got to have, uh, you know, you got to have your church... Uh, your church personality on, right? So yeah, a fart wouldn't go over very well in church. But I remember this one time I had to fart in church. And it's pretty crazy because you know you don't want to do it. And I'm sure you guys have been there. It, 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 it may have not been a church. Maybe you're sitting in a board meeting or you're on an airplane or you're on a date, like a first date with your with a, a beautiful woman. And you can just feel it. You can feel that gas pressure right building in your gut and you can feel it rolling and you know that you got to fart but you know that you can't you know you're in church you got your date next to you you're on a crowded airplane or a bus you can't do it but you can feel the gurgling you can feel the pressure you know what's coming okay now you're like oh shit i have to fart I have to. I can't keep sucking it in. I've sucked it in as long as I can. It's got to come out. Now you're like, okay, we got to make sure of two things, okay? We're going to fart. It's inevitable. But we need to make sure that the next two steps, so it goes unnoticed, is that the fart is silent and that it doesn't smell. So then you got to really push it out very slowly because you know sometimes when you're just sitting at home and you feel that same kind of fart come on and then you feel the pressure build up and then you just like lift a cheek and you're just like you know and you can just let that ass flapper just reverberate you know but in a church you can't do that you can't just kind of force it out like you're playing a trumpet and you just go you know you have to you got to suck that shit in man you you know you you got to let it out real slow so you're sitting there and, you know, you're letting it out as slow as you can because you don't want to squeaker, you don't want to ass flapper. You need it to be silent, right? That's the first step. But then once you actually push it out and you're like, oh, now it's silent. Now you're looking around like, oh, fuck, is it going to smell? You know, because then now that's the real telltale sign. And you can't, you know, you might be able to control if you fart or whether you can hold your fart or whether you can make it silent or very loud but you can't control whether it's going to smell or not right so then i'm sitting there and i'm going through all these different emotions can i hold it nope okay can i push it out slowly so it doesn't make any noise yep pull that off now i'm looking around like oh shit is it going down is it gonna smell and then the first whiff hits me and i'm like "Uh oh it does but you know i don't want to be the one that everybody looks at like, oh my God, this dude just farted in church. You know, I need to now play it off. Like I got no idea what's going on. So I'm just sitting there and I'm smelling it and I'm just keeping a straight face, man. I am just stone faced. Uh, you know, I'm smelling it 
and I'm about ready to puke, but you know, I, I can't lead on that I had something to do with it. So I'm sitting there and surely and slowly, but surely the people to my left, right? The pew in front of me, the pew, perfect, right? Pew, it stunk and they were sitting in pews. What a perfect, uh, I didn't mean for that to happen, but literally the pew in front of me, the, 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 the pew behind me, the people next to me, it all started to hit everybody like one at a time, you know, and you'd see the guy to my left go, you know, and then the person in front of me would be like, you know, and I'm just sitting there like, you know, like I don't even fucking notice anything. And literally everybody around me was like, Everybody could smell it. Nobody knew who did it. My face must have been bright red. And I remember getting out of church that day. And uh, I think it might have been one of my brothers or whatever that was with me was like, dude, did you smell somebody shit themselves halfway through fucking mass? And I was just like, dude, that was me. And they're like, no, that wasn't. I was, I couldn't help it. They're like, what, you couldn't have excused yourself to go to the bathroom? And I'm just like, you got to understand, man, you're a dude. It doesn't even matter. Women poop too. I know they don't like to say they do, but they do. Just one of those things, man. It's like, I mean, how many times have you really gotten up, uh, you know, off the couch or a dinner table or a church service to literally go walk outside to fart? I, I mean, I know some people have that kind of control and that kind of uh, uh, forward thinkingness to uh, not let everyone else bask in their ass smell. But, you know, I was so hyper-focused on Jesus, and I was just so, you know, it just it just went. So, yeah, that went over about as well as a fart in church, and it didn't go over well. So I guess that's where the saying comes from. All right, what's next? Um, everything is now plant-based. You know what I saw? So... You guys know that everything is going plant-based. You know, uh, you know, people seem to take a lot of pride in being vegetarian or vegan and only eating plants and cardboard and stuff. And I guess the health benefits are great, but you know, I I'm sorry, I like bacon too much. Sorry, Miss Piggy. Um, I like a bone-in ribeye too much. Sorry, Mister Cow. I like ice cream. Sorry. I can't do it. So anyways, the plant-based stuff came out a couple years ago, right? Plant-based this, plant-based that, blah, blah, blah. It was mostly just food. I saw a commercial last night for plant-based sunglasses and eyeglasses. So rather than being made out of plastic or metal or whatever, they're actually making the, like the glasses frames out of plants. That's pretty crazy. I was like, wow. So it's like everything is going plant-based now. It was like plant-based food. Now we got plant-based like plastics and stuff like that. And it made me think that, um, you know, what will they think of next for plant-based whatever? Is there going to be a plant-based like car? And then I thought to myself, shit, you know what? Cheech and Chong had the world's first plant-based van. Remember that? I think it was up in smoke. What is it? 1970 or 72 or whatever. They had an entire van that was completely made out of marijuana. So there you go. Cheech and Chong, man, they were like 50 years ahead of the time. They had the world's first plant-based vehicle, like 50 years before people started making plant-based uh, plant uh, bagels or whatever the fuck they do, right? So listen to this. 
this is a this was a much needed thing that I had to do. Everybody to some extent has been losing their mind over the COVID crisis lockdown with being trapped in the house. Um, I know for me, it's been what, like eight, 10 weeks since I've literally touched another human being. I literally have not placed my hand on another human being in like 10 weeks. That's rough. I miss hugs and stuff like that, you know? But uh, what I did do is uh, this past Sunday, me and a handful of friends went out to an open field. We wore gloves, but we were way farther than six feet apart out in the open air sunshine. We all wore gloves and we played frisbee and we played uh, wiffle ball and the kids were there and we all social distanced outside wearing gloves and it was like the first resemblance I've had of what life used to be like pre-COVID. We were all hanging out on a Sunday, beautiful day out in a park, throwing the frisbee around, you know, uh, playing wiffle ball, throwing the football around. We had golf clubs there. The kids were there. We had food, drinks, snacks. And the only difference between now and post-COVID is that we were wearing, you know, medical gloves and we were keeping a six feet distance. But just being able to get back out there and exercise and see other people and play frisbee, you know, the only difference is we just had to wear gloves. And you know, maybe even not gloves. Maybe when you were done playing frisbee, I just had to sanitize my hands, right? Um, so I think it's really important that everybody take their own calculated risks. You know, if you're going to go into a store, I would still wear gloves and mask. But if you're out on a street just taking a walk, there's really nowhere, uh, there's no reason to wear gloves and a mask. There really isn't. Uh, especially now that it's getting so warm out here. Uh, it's like 80 degrees out here today in the Boston area. And uh, wearing a mask outside right now would be extremely hard to breathe. But I still see people doing it, just riding a bike. And you don't need to go to that level. The government's already said that, uh, you know, the people who were really quarantining their groceries and wiping all that stuff down. A lot of this stuff has been blown out of proportion, you know, and, and I was even doing it and I'm even guilty of it last week. Last week when I took my groceries home, I, I sprayed some anti bacteria or virus spray, whatever. And I literally wiped down half my groceries. I still do that kind of shit because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac and I've, been a germaphobe my whole life. Before COVID hit, I wasn't touching anything public. You will never see me, even in the middle of summer, touch a public door handle or knob or railing with my hand. I always open it with a shirt sleeve or my pants or like a, like a towel. Never, 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 never. Always kept sanitizer in my car year round. Uh, I'm just a germaphobe. I, I, I don't want to get sick, whether it be COVID or whether it be Ebola or AIDS or a flu or a, a stomach bug or food poisoning. I don't want it. I don't want any of it. So a lot of the same precautions that people are taking now to avoid COVID, I was taking anyways to avoid getting anything, whether it be COVID, a flu, a cold, any of that stuff. I don't do well with sicknesses, okay? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I had been kind of practicing, uh, you know, 
that kind of hygiene for many years before this COVID came out. The only difference is now that I've added a mask and gloves and, uh, I definitely wash my hands more and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But, uh, anyways, if you haven't really left the house to go visit friends and stuff, do it. You need to. Everyone is losing their sanity being locked up for as long as we have. Even elderly people. I went and visited my father uh, Sunday, and he's very at risk to get COVID and possibly get fucked up from it. So we have to be really careful. But that doesn't mean I need to keep him locked up in the house and that nobody can visit him. Um, You know, we visit outside, keeping our distance. When I went inside to his house and visit, I wore a mask, he wore a mask, and I wore gloves. And then before I left his house, I took Lysol and wiped down everything that I had touched. Um, So, but then again, if I'm going over to see my friend Christina, who's 30 years old, and I see her all the time, she's not elderly, she doesn't have any underlying risk problems. So when I'm in her house or when we're in her backyard, you know, we're six feet apart at least, but we don't have masks and gloves on. Okay, so it's just all it takes here is a little bit of common sense and some vigilance and just knowing that even though we're reopening America back up slowly, the virus is still out there. Nothing's changed. You don't know where it is. You can't see it. So we need to reopen, but we need to be vigilant and you still need to be cautious. You know, even if they told me that, uh, you know, right now, you don't need to wear a mask or gloves when you go grocery shopping, I would still do it because it's still out there. We're still as at risk to get it now as we were two or three months ago, but we can't keep America shut down like this. Too many dominoes have fallen as a result of lockdown. And uh, it's really time that we uh, adjust and get back on our feet in you know, start building up some immunity to this. And I'm willing to bet when every American can be tested for antibodies, they're going to discover that probably half of us have already had it and didn't even have any uh, um, symptoms or had very mild symptoms. And uh, I've told you this, guys, a million times, but when I went to do stand-up in New York City uh, the first week of February, when I got home, I was sick as shit. And this was before COVID had reached America. But now we know that COVID had been here for like five weeks before I got sick. So I still don't know whether I had COVID. I really think I do because I got it in New York City, which has been the worst place in America for COVID has been New York City. And just as COVID was starting to blow up is when I came home with it. So I'm pretty sure I had COVID. And when they have antibody tests, I'd like to get one to see whether I have it or had it rather. But uh, yeah, I think when this is all said and done, there's going to be a lot of us that didn't even know we had it, but we did. So I think now's the time to put uh, your fear and anxiety aside, take smart, calculated risks, and just use common sense. Know that we have to reopen the country and we have to get back to some kind of normalcy. But just know that the virus is, hasn't gone away and it's still out there. It's no different than two months ago. We just know a little bit more. And we're more used to living in this new type of normal, which I hate using that term, new normal. What is normal anyways? But anyways, it's just be smart. Be smart. But 
also think about your mental health in that there are some people that are truly trapped inside their homes that can't go anywhere, that are losing their minds. And I know some of these people and my heart goes out to them. And it's important that we don't forget about those people. Um, so anyways, moving on. So yeah, man, uh, play and catch with those people, those families and my friends on Sundays. That's something I hadn't done, uh, since last summer. And it's certainly something I hadn't done, um, since COVID started. So that was, that was great. Um, I was made fun of on Sunday. I was, even though I'm a white male that seems to have it all together, even I get shamed and I get made fun of, I get roasted, I get bullied. And like I've always told you guys, when that happens, I could run away and cry and go hashtag out that I was bullied, or I can laugh it off and be like, you know what? You're right. And look at you. And, that, and that's what I did. But what I was made fun of for is, um, and I have to give credit where credit is due. You know, uh, people have been commenting recently on how white I am, especially my legs. If you think my face is white, you should see my legs. They're about 10 shades lighter than my face, okay? I'm a white dude. What do you expect, okay? I don't have a tanning bed. And if you didn't know, I live in the Boston area, okay? We get like eight months of winter and four months of summer. The weather in the last week has just turned nice enough to where you can go out and actually get some color. But when you're a white pasty dude like me, who lives under clouds and snow eight months out of the year, you can't keep a tan. By the end of the summer, you'll notice I'm pretty damn dark. But, you know, now that the weather's starting to get warmer, you got eight months of pastiness where, you know, my legs have not seen sunlight in literally eight months. So they are white. So when I wore my shorts to the park and played Frisbee with my friends on Sunday, they're like, dude, you have the whitest legs on the planet and um yeah he was right man i mean my legs are shockingly white i mean to the point where like if i was walking down a street right now in shorts and somebody was walking the other way they they would literally probably stop like a little girl walking with her mom would be like mommy mommy look at that man look at his legs i've never seen something like that and then the mother would turn around and be like, don't, wait, whoa. <laughs> They're bad. Okay, I'm going to show you this, right? I don't know if the camera will do it justice, but can you see, can you see how white those are? I know it's kind of, uh, but yeah, I have really, really, really white legs. And to steal a quote from Bill Burr, my legs are shockingly Caucasian. They're blindingly white. So uh, for anybody that does need to look at my legs out in public before I've gotten some sun on them, I do apologize. You should probably wear some sunglasses because they are really, really bad. But you know, what do you expect? I'm a pasty, pale white dude that hasn't had sun on his legs in eight months. I don't live in friggin' Hawaii, you know? All right. What else? I have written down here, uh, life is so weird now. No shit. Never seen anything like it. Can't hug or go near my own father. He can barely leave. Yeah, I was just kind of talking about that, man. Um, it's really important. I think that people's mental health is really being screwed with right now. 
um, on multiple levels because of lockdown. Whether you still have a job or you're stuck inside the house or you're a nurse on the front lines as an essential worker, you're overstressed. The people at home that have too much time on their hands, you know, having too much time on your hands is like the devil's playground. It's never good. So, but you got to think about other people. I know that's a foreign concept to a lot of people thinking about people other than yourself, but try it sometime. And that's why I feel terrible for the elderly and people like my father, as if life is not tough enough for people like my father right now who are elderly. He's literally stuck in the house. The only two places that we let him go are to the cemetery and to pick up medication at the drive-thru. And even that is sketchy. He told me last night that uh, he went into a gas station the other day. He didn't pay at the pump. He went in and paid with cash. And I'm like, Dad, you, you, you shouldn't be doing that shit. You know, we, he just lost his wife and I just lost my mother six months ago. Do you think I want to see my elderly father now get sick and die of COVID just after losing my mother? Fuck no. You know, so we really need him to be safe. And for the most part, he's being good. But I mean, you know, he just lost his wife after 50 something years. And now he's stuck inside the house all day, nowhere to go, nothing to do. And nobody can visit him because of COVID. I just went and visited him inside his house for the first time. I, I had been visiting with him at a distance because we do his groceries. Like he'll be in the garage and I'll be, you know, on the sidewalk talking from that. But this was the first time I'd actually went into my childhood home with a mask and gloves on and sat across the room from him and, you know, had a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, and I think it's really important. Um, as much as you might think you're suffering, there are people who are elderly who have a serious chance of getting this and dying from it who literally can't leave their house to even go do groceries once every 10 days because they're so at risk. So it's just, it's so important to reach out to family and friends because uh, just getting a phone call from somebody uh, can make somebody's day, you know? Um, so yeah, just try thinking about other people and, and try doing something nice for other people. And just remember that everybody is struggling uh, in this lockdown to one degree or another, uh, especially loneliness and depression. I see it all over the place. Everybody's tired of living in this like post-apocalyptic viral type life. And um, yeah, we just have to uh, make the best of it and adjust to it. Um, but yeah, don't forget about some of the people that are struggling way more than we are, like your elderly parents or grandparents and people that, you know, really are trapped. And even as Massachusetts is starting to reopen through different phases every couple of weeks until I think the end of June or July, if everything goes well, will be fully 100% concerts, comedy, everything will be back open. Even when that happens, the elderly are still going to have to shelter in place because this virus is going to it's, it's probably not going to be eradicated or even cured for another two years. So even, so even though the restrictions are going to be lifted and we're going to eventually go back to having concerts and comedy clubs and restaurants, there's going to be another new normal to that where shit changes. And I really don't know how much longer 
the elderly and uh, immunally compromised people are going to be locked down, but it's going to last a lot longer than younger, healthy people like you and I. So it's important that we don't forget about those people because one day you're going to be that person. Imagine being 76 years old, just recently lost your wife of 60 years, and now you're literally trapped in the house. Nobody can visit you. You can't go anywhere. You have nothing to do. I feel so goddamn bad for that man. I really do. But there's nothing I can do to help him. There really isn't. Everything I can do in my power to help my father, I've done. But everything else is just in his hands at this point. All right. Anyways, that was a little bit morbid. I'm sorry. But this is the views from the John podcast. And sometimes we talk about funny stuff. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's offensive to you. And sometimes it's probably not interesting at all. All right. Moving on. Um, I was talking about this a little earlier. But yeah, social distancing has really uh, turned into like a, an entrepreneurial thing. I observe and I watch everything and everybody and um, everyone has seemed to kind of develop their own practices. You know, one family doesn't use PP at all. They allow multiple people and kids into their home. They're the only ones I know that actually go that far. And then you got other people that literally don't leave their house. And if they do, they got a mask and gloves on. And uh, some people are kind of in the middle. They have like a bubble group, like a uh, family next door that has also been quarantined and works from home for months. And they all hang out together and they track where each other goes, just like they were all living together. That makes sense to me. Uh, but the bottom line is that is that uh, distancing, etc. Um, I don't. It, it's not being followed as a whole. It's not being followed all in the same fashion. You know, each family or individual has kind of come up with their own version based on their personal beliefs. Because you try it, I've tried it. You talk to ten different people, and ten different people are going to give you an answer on what they think. Uh, social distancing guidelines are and whether they believe the World Health uh, Organization, Trump or Fauci, everybody at this point is just overloaded with different uh, tips of what to do, what not to do. There is so much information and anxiety and panic that just everybody has kind of formed their own opinion on their own reality on COVID. And as a result, they're taking their own risks. They've come up with their own distancing guidelines and what makes them comfortable and not comfortable. And maybe that's the way we got to do it. But um, again, it's just an observation that, uh, you know, at first everybody seemed to be sheltering in place, PPE, no visitors, none of that. Now, two months into it, even though those practices are still in place and still being recommended, it's become entrepreneurial. Everybody I see is doing it a little bit differently. Some people, like I said, literally letting people into their homes without distancing, without masks or gloves. I wouldn't fucking do that. No way. But hey, if some other people want to do it, you know, that's a calculated risk that you have to take based on your family. And you know, whether you think you're going to survive or not, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, I know the majority of people who have died or have really gotten COVID bad have been immediately compromised or they've been elderly, but you people do realize that there've been some Olympic athletes that were in that good a shape who were 25 who have died. There's been little kids that have died. 
Just because you're 28 years old and in perfect health, it does not mean that you can't die from COVID. And that's what I think people are forgetting. You know, um, at first, when COVID hit, this was a huge shock. Nobody had lived through this before. It hasn't happened. There hasn't been a worldwide pandemic, I guess, since 1918. I just think that because we've been in it now for like, what, eight, 10 weeks, people have just become comfortable with it to the point where they're like no longer scared by it. And I think that's bad. You know, let's say the first time, uh, let's say you're scared of heights. And because you're scared of heights, you would never jump out of an airplane. But then one day you do jump out of an airplane, despite all the risks and despite your fears, and you love it. And now you've jumped a hundred more times over the last year from an airplane. And now, because you've done it so many times, you're no longer scared of it. Um, how is Wim around with great white sharks off the South African coast? Probably nobody, right? But there are some people who would do it because they've been diving with sharks for so many years, even though it's insane to do it. There's a comfort level. And that's what I believe has happened. COVID has been outside your doorstep, inside your home, on your TV. It's been inescapable for like 10 straight weeks. It's still as dangerous. Nothing's changed. It's just people have become accustomed to it. And I also believe that... Uh, the generation behind me, and this is just my own personal opinion, the millennial generation, in my opinion, they've always kind of had this, and this is just my opinion, but they've had an attitude that like nothing could ever happen to them. That the people that get robbed, uh, the places where there's mass shootings, the places where there's home invasions, the places where uh, you know people have their houses burnt down, that that only happens to people in the movies and on TV. I can't get COVID. I'll never get into a car accident. My house will never burn down. I'll never be involved in a plane crash. That only happens to other people. I'll never get struck by lightning. That only, ha you know what I'm saying? It seems to me that the younger generation just has it in their head that nothing bad can and will ever happen to them. That people will never break into their house because that only happens in the movies and in Baltimore or wherever, you know what I'm saying? And I don't have that same viewpoint. Even though I seem to live in a very safe city where you probably wouldn't have a home invasion, I'm not going to say it can't happen to me and that I'm not prepared for it. I'm prepared for freaking anything. I think anything could happen. You hear that? That's I live near an Air Force base and there's been a lot of jets flying around the last couple of days. I love it. Anytime I hear a, a jet going over the house, it's like, fuck yeah, America. <sighs> Anyways, um, what else do I have to talk about? We've been talking for about 50 minutes. And this has also been my first attempt to do a podcast today. Sometimes I have to do 20 attempts, but pfft. yeah, knock on wood, right? In the next couple of minutes, my audio will cut out and I'll have to start this all over again. Um, all right, one last quick thing here, um, I guess, and then we'll kind of end this podcast. This podcast has gone by really quickly, so... That usually is good. Hopefully it ends up being good. But um, you know what I did? Um, a lot of people have been asking me lately uh, if I have any stand-up videos. And I do. I, I, I record all of my stand-up, uh, whether it's an open mic or at a show. Um, I record the audio. And sometimes I record the video. And the other night, 
I had three different videos of me from like December and January uh, doing stand-up at two different clubs. And I literally couldn't get more than 15 seconds into it. I don't, I don't know if you guys are like this, but um, I don't think I have a very good voice, but I still sing occasionally. Um, a couple podcasts ago, if you guys made it through the whole thing, uh, at the end of the podcast, you heard me singing and playing a, uh, a cover of Alice in Chains' uh, Nutshell. And, um, you know, that was me singing on it. And people say, yeah, your voice is okay. I've heard a lot worse. You know, it's not bad. But for me, when I hear myself sing back, I can't listen to it. It's, it's absolutely cringeworthy. I can't do it. I can't listen to myself sing back. I can listen to my voice. I have to listen to this podcast once it's done recording because I have to edit it and I have to make sure that uh, it's all you know done up for release. No problem with that. I can watch myself on video. I have to do that because now we're videoing this podcast. I have no problem looking at myself uh, on video. However, I can't listen to myself sing. And for some reason, I cannot listen or watch myself do stand-up. I can't. I cringe. Even if I'm getting a lot of laughs and, the, and I'm killing, I cringe. I can't do it. And when I say cringeworthy, you have, you, you have no idea. I cannot get 10 seconds into any one of my stand-up videos without going, Ugh, just because I feel like I've come so far since then. And I know all the things I was doing wrong at first. Um, so... I'm really, I'm really anxious to get back on stage. I really am. Um, I really feel like I've kind of reinvented myself. Uh, I feel a lot more comfortable at doing stand-up. Uh, I was doing it completely wrong. I didn't know there was a right and wrong way to do stand-up, but evidently I had found the wrong way to do it. But I was even having some little, little bit of success uh, doing things wrong and doing jokes that I thought were funny as opposed to doing material that you know would be universally funny. And believe it or not, there is a way to do that. I've had to read multiple books to, you know, to get it. I just thought watching Bill Burr and, you know, Dave Chappelle the last 20 years would give me an idea of how to formulate a joke and do stand-up. But no, not even close. You have to go do it and experience it. You have to learn and listen to people like Chappelle and Burr. And you have to buy some books. And you need to be tutored and taught uh, by doing over several years and you have to listen to elder comics there's a couple elder comics they're not old but they're more experienced than me that have taken me under their wing and i'm learning from them it's it's a learn from doing i think i'm a pretty damn good guitar player been playing it for 27 years been writing music could you know composing complete songs for 27 years did i read a book about that no i just self-taught 27 years of doing it so and it's kind of the same thing with comedy man you just you just have to figure it out by doing it and uh, that's been the toughest part the last two three months i have not done stand-up since uh the beginning of march beginning of april beginning of, yeah it's been like two and a half months since i've done stand-up and i am missing it and i think what's going to be really funny is i think every stand-up is going to suck even if you're a 20-year comic when stand-up happens again, you're probably going to suck. You know, you know, um, 
I know a lot of comics who, you know, their last time on stage was, you know, mid-March, early March. A lot of us have even forgotten our own act. I don't remember half the bits I was doing. I'd have to go and re-listen to them. And that's the other thing, is that because every comic, whether you're, you know, six months in, open level mic, or open mic level like me, or you're 30 years in Bill Burr, everybody, I think, is going to have a tough time doing stand-up because everybody's rusty. You know, plumbers haven't turned a wrench in three months, you know, all that kind of shit. You're going to be rusty. And the other thing is, is because every comic around the planet has been uh, out of work for stand-up because of COVID, I feel a lot of the material people are going to do is going to be COVID-related or lockdown-related, right? Because, you know, that's where a lot of your best material comes from, is from your own personal experiences and true stories. But we've all been living the same story. We've all been locked down. We've all been anxious about COVID, right? We're all in the same. So when comedy reopens, it's going to be everybody from six months experience to 60 years experience all starting out at the same time. And I think people are just, you know, people are going to be so tired of COVID that I don't think any COVID material is going to work. I'm not going to do any. Um, just like Trump is, you could write, even if you're not a comedian, you could write an hour's worth of material just on Donald Trump. Okay. COVID's no different because we've all been living it and experiencing it for months now. There is no limit to the jokes that you could write about COVID, but every comedian under the sun is going to be doing COVID material. And I really don't think that anybody uh, in the audience after living it, like we all have wants to hear about COVID. I don't. So um, it's going to be tricky, you know, to come up with new material and to, uh, you know, get that rust off you after not doing stand up. But I miss it, man. Stand up for me was therapeutic. It was a way for me to go talk about my life and my problems with complete strangers and get a laugh out of it. Rather than going paying a psychologist $200 an hour, I can get paid to go talk to people for an hour and make them laugh, make them feel better, make me feel better. It's a win-win situation. And that's about all I have for you today. Hopefully you've enjoyed another edition of my podcast, The Views from the John, and I hope that you're doing well. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you probably next week. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, the music that you hear before the podcast and at the end of it, the majority of which is my music. I'm always writing music, and I like to showcase that at the beginning and the ending of the podcast. So uh, yeah, if you're in need of uh, some music, that you want to uh, start off your YouTube videos or whatever, hit me up. I'll probably do one for you for free just to get my name out there. That's one of the things that Reality Drip does is we produce this podcast and we do a whole bunch of other computer stuff So and music writing. So if you're in need of any of that stuff, please hit me up. I'm all over social media as John Ares or Johnny Ares. Uh, there's no H in my name. It's J O N. And if it's Johnny you're looking for, there again, there's no H. It's J-O-N-J-O-N-N-Y, okay? And Erez is spelled A-R-E-Z. The name of my comedy troupe and production company is Reality Drip Productions. You can find us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all over the place. Just look for Reality Drip. We'd love to have you. 
And yeah, and like I said, if you need anything, you want to be on the show, you want to advertise on the show, you want to ask me a question, you want to beat me up, you want to get offended, you know, you want to have a, you know, a mutual masturbation session, doesn't matter. Hit me up. We'll figure something out. Again, I'm Johnny Ares, and thank you for tuning in for this May 20th, 2020 edition of the Views from the John podcast. Everybody take care. God bless. Bye-bye.